0: When a parent elevates the step parent, he's making it clear to everyone, including the kids and the ex, that his partner is an important part of his family. But what happens when his partner becomes the only important part of his family? You are now listening to The Infamous Ones, a true crime podcast hosted by Kay on Spotify a podcast aimed to uncover and share the stories behind heinous and insane acts that have been overlooked or overshadowed by mainstream media. Getting justice for the voices that can't speak. What's up, y'all? It's your girl Kay, and I am the host of The Infamous Ones, a true crime podcast, a podcast designed to focus on crimes committed in the Black community that you don't hear about in mainstream media, giving a voice to those victims that have otherwise been silenced. I must caution that this week's episode involves the death of a minor. Like, the details are a bit graphic, so y'all just please be advised when listening to this episode. This week's episode involves Imani Moss, the victim, Iman Moss, Imani's negligent father, and I guess you could say murderer by accomplice and just ultimate dumbass. And Tiffany Moss, the infamous murderer. Imani Gabrielle Moss was born April 23rd, 2004 in Gwinnett County, Georgia. She was given the nickname Angel Face, and it was so true because this baby girl was just so precious, y'all. She was adorable. She looked like a cute little baby doll. Now, she was named after her father, Iman Giovanni Moss, thus, you know, Imani. Um, She was one of five children born to her mother. And I tried so hard to find the information on her mom but it was like she just disappeared off the face of the planet like i mean i was cross-referencing i was trying to find birth certificates i was looking on facebook you know anything that i could think of to try to find her biological mother the reason is is that her biological mom had like this serious drug problem And so it was like so bad that Imani was born addicted to drugs. And of course, you know, Iman, he's not liking that at all, naturally. And he ended up beating Imani's biological mom when she was born shortly after and was charged with battery and second degree child cruelty. So, you know, of course, I'm trying to look this up and I'm trying to find information because I'm like, okay, I got so many unanswered questions. I'm like, did she ever get clean? Did she know what happened to Imani? You know, was she ever reunited with any of her children? She had five kids and she gave up the parental rights on all of them. So, you know, of course, I'm trying to find this information. But like I said, homegirl is like fucking Casper, like just a whisper in the wind. She gone. So anyway, like I said, after a while, Imani's mother ended up surrendering her parental rights to all five of her kids. Now, right now I'm thinking, bruh, what kind of bitches are you fucking that they're addicted to drugs and gave birth to a baby addicted to drugs? Like you, were you not around for her pregnancy? Did you not peep none of this? Like, were you on drugs yourself? Like, it's so many questions that I have because I'm like, how the fuck you miss this like what kind of bitches are you fucking that that can happen like is your choice in women that messed up well then again clearly it is because here I am doing an episode anyway so Imani's mother surrenders her parental rights and Iman ended up taking custody of his daughter Now, from jump, Imani loved school and just excelled in all of her subjects. Like, at the age of three, she attended the Susan Chambers School of Dance, where she studied ballet. And then when she was five, she attended Gwinnett School of Music, where she took guitar lessons. Imani was just this bright and pretty little girl. She was full of life. She enjoyed reading and dancing and cooking. She would make up cute little songs. Now, even though Iman had custody, Imani spent a lot of time with her grandmother, Robin, who is Iman's mom. So Robin and Iman would go to church and y'all know how grandmamas be. They dress them little girls up in the cute little dresses and church shoes with the little frilly socks. You know, like the ones Jermaine Dupri was wearing at the Super Bowl halftime show. Okay, um... Alright, pause the episode for a second because JD, bro, what the fuck? Why? I mean, really? What? What? What were you thinking? Them little... You had to know that they was gonna come for your neck with them damn church socks with the pockets? What was the reason? What did- was the reason? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know it's early on in the episode for that, but the shit was just stupid. Like... You need to fire whoever put you in that, looking like an eighth grade boarding school student. Like, my boy looked like an extra from Matilda. But shout out to Usher, though, for a phenomenal halftime show. Like, he did that. Okay, I'm sorry, y'all. Back to the episode. So, like I was saying, Imani and her daddy would go to church with her grandmother. And people would say that, you know, she would be seen preaching to, like, her stuffed animals and her dolls. If that's not the cutest thing. That baby had a calling on her life at an early age. Like, that is just too precious. Well, while they were at Freedom Christian Church enjoying the word from the good pastor, it was there that Iman met Tiffany Nicole Brown. Tiffany Nicole Brown was born July 20th, 1983, to Pearlie Bashir. Now, there's not much on her childhood, but... One can only assume that she had done some fucked up shit because of how this case unfolds. Like there's nothing on her father. So I'm assuming a nigga was Casper, but she had a sister, Brittany Brown, who I'll get into in a little bit. Tiffany had somewhat of a educational background. She went to college and got a dual degree where she could care for elderly individuals as well as minor children. Now, When she met Iman, she was a preschool teacher and in 2007, and Imani was maybe four years old at this time, she met Iman at Freedom Christian Church. He steps to her and he's like, hey baby, how you doing? You know, you looking kind of good. And you know, she's like, well, praise the Lord, you looking good yourself. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she ain't say it like that, but yeah, y'all catch my drift. So they exchange numbers and everything. Now, Iman is living with his mom, and she's, of course, living with her mom, but you know, they start kicking it, and before you know it, they get real serious. Well, in July of 2009, they get married, and Tiffany Brown is now Tiffany Moss. So everything is all good, and they're kind of, you know, bouncing around, living with friends and family, just, you know, Tiffany and Iman and Imani. Life is doing good, but, you know, things started changing for Imani. Tiffany wasn't really feeling being a mom to Imani like her man wanted her to be or like, you know, he thought that she would be. She would find reasons to basically punish her stepdaughter and... When they got married, like at this point, Imani is all but seven years old. She's a cute little girl with, you know, the heart of gold. But Tiffany don't give a damn about none of that. Like she is beating her. I mean, not just like a simple pop, but literally beating the girl to the point that she's leaving welts and bruises. And it is bad. One day, Imani is at school and she gets in trouble for a bad grade. Like she didn't really get in trouble, but, you know, her teacher had a talk with her and she's like, "Okay, Imani, what's going on? And the teacher notices her behavior like Imani is acting scared. She's crying and she's like, I don't want to go home because she knows that she's going to get in trouble for that bad grade. And the teacher, you know, she's concerned and she sees how Imani is acting and she knows immediately, okay, something's up at this household. So she takes Imani to the school nurse and there they do an observation. And the nurse is looking her over and she's like, what the hell? She sees all of these welts on Imani's body and some bruises that are already in the healing stages. And she knows what's up. She's like, all right. Somebody beating this girl's ass. So, you know, she's obligated to call the authorities and that's exactly what she does. The cops get there and Imani tells them about how her stepmother, Tiffany, has been beating her. So they take the information and they go and they talk to Tiffany about it and she admitted to it like she has no shame whatsoever She was like, yeah, I hit her with a belt, but you know, it was only a couple of times, maybe like three, but it was definitely more than a couple of times, especially with all the bruises that Imani had that were, you know, in the healing stages. So Tiffany's arrested and she pleads guilty to the abuse. Now Iman isn't in direct trouble, but because he's married to the abuser, he's, you know, somewhat in the midst of it as well. Tiffany ends up losing her teaching position. Like she can never work with kids again, which is a good thing because this bitch really is on some crazy shit. And I wouldn't trust her with my Barbie doll, much less my kid. And what makes me so mad is that she just nonchalantly admitted to her husband like, oh, well, yeah, I kind of beat her with a belt. And and the sick part is, it's like, he's like, okay with it. This, This is where I have a problem because... I can't stand to see a man in a relationship with somebody that is mistreating their kids. Like that shit literally makes my ass itch. It makes my blood boil. If you are being the stepmom and being that parental role in that child's life, then be that. But if you can sit there and and, and casually admit that you beat this child with a belt over something that wasn't worthy of that type of punishment, this girl is six, seven years old. You need to have your ass fucked up. And the father needs to be fucked up just as much because he should have stopped it right then and there. The minute that Tiffany told him, yeah, I beat her with a belt to the point that she got welts and bruises on her body, she should have been the next one to get her ass beat. You ain't had no problem putting your hands on Imani's mama who was actually her biological mother. But you won't do it to your wife who's hurting your child or better yet, fucking leave her ass, bruh. No, you sat there and stayed with this crazy bitch. Like, what is wrong with you? And I know people are like, you know, kids need whoopings every now and then. I get it. They do. And I'm not saying don't discipline your child. But discipline your child when it's worthy of it. Make the punishment fit the crime, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? If she got a bad grade at seven, fucking take away toys for a day or something like that. But beating her with a belt and leaving bruises and and all kind of shit, hell no. And I speak from personal experience when I speak on this. Okay, let me be very clear. And I don't give a fuck who says what when they hear this episode. At the end of the day, if you did not birth a child that comes from the person that you're in a relationship with, if you are in a relationship and your boyfriend or or spouse or husband or whatever has kids from outside of your relationship that came before you. At the end of the day, if you did not birth that child, you should have no reason to put your hands on that child in any disciplinary manner. Any bitch that can sit there and put her hands on another woman's child, whether the mother is in the picture or not, deserves to get that ass drug. Okay? Translation. (laughs) If I have a child and the father allows his wife or girlfriend or whomever to put her hands on my kid, I'm fucking both of y'all up. And both of y'all deserve it because, A, chick, you were dumb enough to put your hands on my kid. And B, as the man and the father, the actual biological parent to the child, you allowed the shit and you ain't stop it. So you deserve the ass whooping that you gonna get. And I'm sorry, y'all. I know I went on a tangent, but that kind of shit really enrages me. Like this child was an innocent baby and her father had the power to stop the abuse the minute he found out about it, but he didn't. That shit makes my blood boil, you sick, twisted, sadistic son of a bitch. Okay, let me let me really back in. I'm sorry. Y'all see why I gave that disclaimer, right? Like, I did the research on this case and clearly I'm still mad about this shit. Like, it just, I hate to see innocent children hurt at the hands of the people that are supposed to be protecting them. Like, that... Anyway, so... After Tiffany confesses to beating Imani with a belt, she's given five years of probation and she loses her teaching job. Now she and Iman have to take parenting classes so that they can prove that they're capable of taking care of Imani and that, you know, the situation won't happen again. But I'm like, okay, five years probation. That's that ain't enough. Like, she should have been given some type of serious discipline other than just some probation. And that, honestly, that whole parenting class thing is some bullshit to me. Like, it's plenty of people that can take parenting classes and say that, oh, I'm never going to do this again and still do whatever the hell they want to do. And that's the problem with the system. You get a bullshit punishment and you go right back to doing some evil shit. Just because you took a class don't mean nothing. It's people that are in high positions that, you know, may look one way to the public and be an upstanding citizen to the public, but be a different way behind closed doors. And, and, and that's how it was with Tiffany. Like it's too many cases where you see people, you know, I've I've seen stories about how police officers, you know, in the public eye, they're the perfect, you know, person and the upstanding citizen, but behind closed doors, they beating the shit out of their wife or, They're, you know, hell, some of them are murderers, you know, and and they're supposed to be this top-notch A1 person to the public eye. So, yeah, you can take a class and say, oh, I'm going to be a better parent, but it actually takes the work, and Tiffany just wasn't trying to do that. So, Imani was taken from the home and went to live with her grandmother, Robin. Again, that's Iman's mom. She was there for about mm, six months, and in the time that she lived with her, Robin said that, you know, she was really starting to come out of her shell and that she was thriving once again. She talked about how when Imani first came to stay with her, she was real skittish and just, like, really scared. If, If she messed up or if she did something bad, she was just so worried that she would be disciplined. And, you know, Robin had to explain to her, like, no, baby, you're safe here. Like, nobody's going to hurt you. And so, you know, eventually Imani was doing great. She was doing great in school. Her grades were always on point. She wasn't as scared anymore. She was now back to being that cute little girl that she was supposed to be. Until she returned to her father's house in the fall of 2010. The Georgia Division of Family and Children's Services decided that Imani should return home to her father Iman and her stepmother Tiffany. And Robin was pissed about this. And she tried to fight it like tooth and nail to keep Imani with her. But Georgia d said, nope, she got to go back to her daddy. And, you know, Robin, she actually suspected that there was abuse, but she just couldn't prove it. And she tried to, you know, get the authorities to give her custody. She tried to talk to Iman about giving her custody, but it was just a flat out no. So they sent Imani back and unfortunately the abuse only got worse. Now, okay, here's my thing. You would think that after getting caught and having to plead guilty to child abuse, that Tiffany would say, hey, you know what? Let me get my shit together. (laughs) Nope. Her hate for Imani just fueled her abuse that much more. Now, in 2010, she and Iman actually welcomed a baby boy, Tristan. And a few years after that, they had a daughter named Emma. And throughout all of this, Tiffany just continued to abuse Imani over and over. And Imani was petrified like she actually would try to run away and would tell anyone that was you know concerned what was going on sometimes it was easy because Iman and Tiffany were living with relatives and you know friends but eventually they actually did end up getting their own apartment and the abuse only got worse for Imani because now there was nobody else around there was one situation in July 2012 where Imani went to the apartment complex where they were living and she went to the office and told them that she wanted to run away. And, you know, the office staff is like, well, baby, you know what, why are you trying to run away? And she tells her, you know, my dad's wife, she ties me up with a belt and, and and she puts me in a cold shower. And of course the apartment complex, they're doing their due diligence and they call the police, but all the police did was go to Tiffany And even though this bitch got a clear case of child abuse already, she tells them, oh, you know, Imani's just lying, you know, kids and their their imagination. And because there's no hard evidence, the cops just let Imani go back with Tiffany and her dad. Like, y'all, this is, oh, oh, this is making me so mad. Like, going over this case, I got so emotional because... This baby cried out for help so many times and the system failed her over and over again. And I hate when stuff like that happens because I'm a mother of a son who went through something similar. And because there was no physical evidence, it was just dismissed. But, you know, you don't understand the amount of emotional trauma that that child goes through or the amount of emotional distress. Imani is seven, eight years old and has to deal with all of this, having to deal with a stepmom who treats her like shit. She's got a brother and a sister in that same household that she just adores and and loves dearly. And, 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 And Tiffany treats them normal. But yeah, she treats her like the ugly duckling. She treats her like Cinderella. And, you know, Imani couldn't take it. And her dad, the only biological parent that she has, who's supposed to be there, who beat her mama's ass because she was addicted to drugs. But yet he's allowing this like she has no faith in her father at all. And she just she couldn't take it. And so she ran away again. Literally days later, she ran away and slept outside in the freezing rain. The cops ended up finding her in a bush at an apartment complex near where they lived. Like, that is just tremendously heartbreaking for a child to choose to sleep in the bushes outside while it's pouring rain because they don't want to be in the house with you. Do you realize how fucked up of a person you have to be to have a child say, I'd much rather sleep in the rain outside in the dirt than be in the house with you, their stepmom. And her father, you know, she's working these crazy-ass hours. And, and when he is home, Tiffany's gone, you know. And, and that's probably the only time, honestly, that Imani gets some type of peace. Because when her father would come home, Tiffany was like, all right, I'm out. You know, she goes out and she does her thing. But during the week, you know, her dad is working like crazy and he's never home. So it's always her, Tiffany, and the other two kids. So on this particular situation, Imani is found sleeping in the bushes. And what did the cops do? Once again, they take her back home. And Imani tells the cops, please, I don't want to go home. My stepmom is mean to me. And the cops hear it, you know, and, and they, I guess, do their part to an extent. They still take her home, but they call Georgia d and, you know, they let them know what was going on. And they filed the necessary paperwork and Georgia d put curfew violations against Imani. And, you know, they made it to where she could see a judge, but they didn't remove her from the home. And all I'm thinking is like, there's a proven case of child abuse. Why, why do you keep putting her back in the home of someone who was abusing her? Yeah, they took parenting classes, but obviously if the girl is saying over and over that she's tired of being abused, fucking listen to her. She's telling the truth. Don't just sit there and be like, oh, well, because they took a parenting class, that means they're fixed. Like, it's it's too many holes here. Imani, she just kept having to deal with the abuse. But despite everything, when she was at school, that's when she was at her best. She was thriving and excelling. Her fourth grade teacher, Lisa Neal from Bethesda Elementary, she later recalled that Imani had the most beautiful smile. She said, that's what I'll always remember about her. She was so precious. School was her safe place. She was always smiling. And that's true. A lot of times kids look at school as their safe place because they endure so much at home. And Imani endured a lot, like she would be punished for every little thing. One day at school, she had to be treated by the nurse's office again because of the fact that she had been beaten again. See, she had eaten breakfast too slow and missed her bus and Tiffany hit her in the back and in the back of her head with a belt. And the school nurse ended up giving her an ice pack. And of course, once again, they contacted defects, but nothing came of it and the case was closed why because the caseworker decided well i'm gonna go speak to Imani while she's in front of her stepmother and her teacher why the fuck would anybody with half a gnat's brain actually think that a child is going to open up and be honest about abuse sitting in front of the abuser or alleged abuser what kind of tactic is that so of course they closed the case And then they have the audacity to say that the actions that were reported by the school were identified as insignificant and determined to be corporal punishment. (sighs) This baby was just born in a bad situation, born addicted to drugs. She's been abused as far back as 2004. And the system just keeps fucking with her. And I guess Tiffany got tired of the school getting in her business because after Imani's fourth grade year ended, Tiffany and Iman decide they're going to homeschool Imani. So they remove Imani from public school. And <laughs> oddly enough, all they had to do was write out a statement saying we're going to homeschool Imani and poof, pow, that was it. And this is probably one of the last times that Imani is seen by anybody. Now it's Mother's Day weekend, and Iman and Tiffany decide to take the kids and go visit his sister, Sharonice. So they go to her house for Mother's Day, and when Sharonice sees Imani, she is just taken back. Like she's in shock. She goes over to Iman and Tiffany and she's like, Um, y'all want to tell me what's going on and why my niece looking like this? Y'all, Imani is frail. She's thin. Her beautiful hair was all thinned out and she was just looking scruffy. And when Sharonese asked Tiffany about it, Tiffany says nothing but, well, if you act ugly, you should look ugly. And I'm thinking, bitch, have you seen yourself? Because your face is definitely next to the word ugly in the dictionary. Like, bitch, you're looking like a scab and trying to talk about somebody else. If acting ugly means losing hair, Tiffany, you should have been bald. Okay. But East isn't feeling Tiffany's answer, and she ends up contacting Georgia Defects and she asked them to intervene, but of course they didn't. And it wasn't until the beginning of the school year for 2013 that Defects gets an anonymous tip that Imani is being neglected by her father and stepmother, and that she was, you know, starting to get really skinny. But remember, after Mother's Day, no one really saw her again. Like it was like she just basically disappeared. Tiffany and Iman kept Imani at home and claimed that, you know, Tiffany was homeschooling her. Iman worked all the time. He would leave for his first job early in the morning and he would only be home for like a little bit in the afternoon. But then at like six, he's going back to his second job and then he's not getting off until like 11 o'clock at night. And the entire time, who's left to take care of Imani? Tiffany, the stay at home wife and mother. This question just keeps racking my brain. Like, why would you leave this woman alone with your daughter? You knew that she didn't care for your child. You admitted that Imani needed to live with your mother. You can physically see the change in your daughter's appearance and behavior. So why the hell would you keep letting her be subjected to that? Between Mother's Day of 2013 to the time that she died, Imani was just mistreated, starved, confined to her room. This wasn't something that just happened overnight. And the crazy part is the entire time she let Iman know what was going on she being Tiffany, she would text Iman about how she and the kids were at home relaxing and how she was cooking him a nice hot meal. And, you know, she's playing the role of the good housewife telling her man how she can't wait for him to get home because she's cooking. And she's like, oh, by the way, you know, Imani's in her room because she did X, Y, and Z. And the entire time, Imani is in her room starving. And this wasn't a situation where they just thought, well, we're going to starve her, you know, for the last couple of days. No, she was left pretty much to just suffer. Like Tiffany is cooking and feeding Tristan and Emma and just leaving Imani to wilt away. Whenever Iman would come home, he either was just oblivious to all of this or would just make excuses. Now, when he was on trial, he claimed that he would try to get her to eat and everything, but she was just too weak. Finally, in the last few days of her life, Imani just couldn't take it. She started to have convulsions and Tiffany put her in the bathtub. She was soaking her sheets with her urine, throwing up all the time. Like it was really bad. And Tiffany texted Iman to let him know what was going on. and And that's what gets me. She's got this nonchalant attitude the entire time. Imani is going to work every day while, excuse me, Iman is going to work every day while Imani is suffering. But one day, Tiffany text messages him. Now, I forgot to mention he had her saved in his phone as sexy wife. Like, clearly the nigga needed to get his eyes checked and because clearly his eyes was cocked like a pistol because homegirl looked like a gremlin. But, you know, I digress. (laughs) <laughs> sexy wife, P- uh, bullshit so she texts him and she's like hey baby how's your day and he's like yo what's up boo so she tells him well you know i'm at home making some lasagna for you but listen we got a problem imani's been getting poop on the walls and of course you know she didn't say poop she said shit but Imani is like well what you mean so tiffany tells him that imani had gotten shit on the walls and that was Far from the case, you know, in all actuality, Imani was up in her room, barely able to move. She would have to crawl to a corner to relieve herself if she had to go to the bathroom. That's how bad it was. Now, it was no surprise when Iman came home from work one day and his son Tristan is running around playing. Their daughter, Emma, she's in her little playpen and she's playing and Tiffany's sitting down watching TV. But, you know, he starts looking around and he don't see Imani. So he goes upstairs and Imani is in the tub. Now, remember, she had convulsions. She's still in the fucking tub. He asks Tiffany what happened. And she's like, oh, well, you know, she just had a little seizure. So Imani picks her body up and, you know, he's trying to get her to move. You know, he's he's trying to feed her, but it's not happening. Because literally for the past two weeks, Imani was in her room dying of starvation. So Iman puts her in her room and lets her lay there and he goes down to enjoy a meal with his wife and kids. Now, later on, he does admit that he fucked up and probably should have intervened right there. You think, nigga? Like, there were plenty of times that you could have intervened. You just chose not to because you was too pussy whipped, bitch. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm agitated. Like, you protected your wife before you protected your kid. So... He picks her up, puts her in the bed, and he tries to give her boost protein drinks so, like, he could try to, you know, get her healthy again, but it doesn't work. The next day, October 28th, 2013, is where everything just went to shit. On October 28th, 2013, Iman goes to work, and while he's at work, he gets a phone call from Tiffany. And you know, he answers, what's up, babe? You know I'm at work, everything cool. And she tells him, Yeah, everything is good. Um, I was just calling to tell you that Imani's dead. Like, no type of emotion, just oh, she's dead. Now, instead of leaving right then and there, Iman's stupid ass actually finishes out his shift. He finishes work. And then says, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and go home. And he sees that, in fact, Imani is dead. Bro, what the? Is this nigga mental? Like, okay. So he tells Tiffany, listen, we got to call cops. And, you know, Tiffany's quick to shut that down. Like, she's like, nigga, have you lost your mind? You know I'm on probation. I'm not trying to go to jail. She tells him, just just wrap her up and put her in a blanket or something. And we'll just put her in a computer room. And Iman did exactly what she said. And this is where I start to think. You, know you don't fucked up, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. You know you done fucked up, right? <laughs> this fool took Imani's lifeless body, wraps it in a blanket, And moved her into the computer room that was in their apartment. Like she was just like an old area rug or something. Like he legit laid her in the computer room. Then he goes back to work and Tiffany and the kids are in the apartment acting like nothing is wrong. Living their best life. The entire time Iman's daughter is laying in the room and they just act like she isn't there. What? the hell is wrong with these people time goes on and Halloween comes Tiffany dresses up Tristan and Emma and she takes them trick-or-treating while her daughter is decomposing on the computer room floor she's sending pictures to her sister Brittany like oh look at my babies but not once does anybody ask hey where's Imani where's her costume they just keep going as if she never existed. And it's not until Imani's body starts to smell that Tiffany mentions something to Iman. She tells him, look, we need to figure out what to do because she's starting to stink up the house. And once again, Iman is like, listen, we just we just need to call the cops. But she's like, I told your black ass I ain't going to jail for that girl. So what do they do? They decide they're going to just get rid of Imani's body. So they take Imani who is now beyond rigor mortis and try to put her in a trash bag but they can't bend her body because of how stiff she is from the rigor mortis. So Iman gets the bright idea to go to Home Depot and get a galvanized trash can and some trash bags and some charcoal and lighter fluid. They get some duct tape And they tape her limbs together and put her inside of the trash bags. And then they load the kids up into their trailblazer. And in the middle of the night, they start driving. Nice little, you know, family trip to dispose of evidence. They get to this secluded area and Iman gets out and he takes out the trash can out of the trunk. And he fills it with trash bags and puts Imani inside of it. He then puts charcoal in it douses it in lighter fluid, and then lights it on fire. The fire's burning for like five minutes or so, but Iman is seeing that it's not that easy to just, you know, cremate a body. Like, this tells you that you're dealing with two stupid-ass individuals because they actually thought that they could cremate a body this way. <sighs> dummies. So they end up putting the fire out and putting her back in the truck, and they dump charcoal on top of her to hide her body. So they go back home and leave Imani in the truck, um, in the in the truck of the, the trunk of the truck. So the kids get out. They go back inside. Iman goes on to work. But, you know, homie's mind is starting to get fucked up at this point. Now, I guess you could say the shit that, you know, he's done was starting to get to him. And his boss is peeping how he's, you know, kind of moving around. And he's like, all right, you know what? Maybe you should just, like, take the rest of the day. You starting to trip a little bit. So he's like, all right, cool. He calls his boy and he tells him, you know, yo, I need you to meet me real quick. I I, I need somebody to talk to. So they meet up at this QT gas station and Iman starts spilling everything. He's like, bruh, yo, I fucked up. My daughter's dead. And, you know, his boy is like, bruh, what you mean? And Iman tells him she dead. Imani's dead. Like, I got her in a trash can in the trunk. Now, his boy is in the car with him at the time. That nigga turned around so fast and saw that trash can and jumped clean, smooth the fuck up out that truck. He was like, "Bro, have you lost your motherfucking mind? Like, I don't want no parts of this. I ain't got shit to do with this. Why would you tell me this shit when I'm in the car? And so, you know, Iman is telling him, like, well, Tiffany, you know, she she don't want to go to the cops because she's scared of jail and and his boy is like why the fuck are you listening to tiffany that's your kid nigga call the cops thank you finally somebody with some sense like i wish his boy had been there from jump but finally iman gets some sense and he decides all right i gotta do what i gotta do it's November 2nd, 2013, and Iman goes back home after, you know, speaking with his boy, and he tells Tiffany, listen, I gotta stop. I gotta call the cops. I can't deal with this anymore. This is this is hurting me too much. And Tiffany's like, oh, word? <laughs> oh, okay, I'm out. She got her kids, and she loaded up the trailblazer, and she went to her mama's house. But not before she got that trash can out the trunk and put it on the curb. She leaves him alone with Iman, in, with Imani and, you know, and his guilt. And Imani is a wreck. Like, he's crying hard. You know, he calls the cops. And it's like 4 o'clock in the morning when he calls the cops. And he tells them, I just, I don't want to live no more. I messed up. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And he's like, she's gone. She's dead. So when they get there, they're asking him, you know, who's gone? Who's dead? And he points to this little grassy area nearby where the trash can is and he tells them, it's my daughter. So the cops, they go and they look and they see that Imani is stuffed in this trash can, partially burned like yesterday's trash. Pardon the expression. Iman tells them that, you know, Imani had drank some chemicals and died and that he had panicked and put her body in a trash can outside of the apartment and that's why he was suicidal but they knew that was some bullshit because her body was already in rigor mortis. It was past that, beyond that. So immediately they take Iman and they place him into custody and put him in the back of the car. Meanwhile, Tiffany and the kids are at her mom's house and Tiffany wakes up her sister Brittany and she's like, hey, Hey, I need you to take me somewhere real quick. Brittany don't ask no questions and she's cool with it. So they get in the car and Tiffany, you know, tells Brittany and her mama, like, no matter what, don't let nothing happen to my kids. But just as soon as the cops came and picked up Iman, they came and got Tiffany's ass. So she's arrested and both she and her husband are charged. Now, Tiffany is charged with three felony counts of murder. Two counts of cruelty of children and one count of concealing the death of another person. Imani is laid to rest a week later on November 13th, 2013. Her funeral was at the Greg Levitt Funeral Home and there were lots of, you know, framed pictures of Imani where she was smiling and happy. There were these like large floral arrangements that surrounded the urn that had her remains. Now, because of the way that her body was and how decomposed and burned she was, they didn't have a choice but to cremate her. Her preschool teacher, Lavonia Brown, got up and she said, she always had a smile and hugs for the other kids. I called her my little helper. Her cousin, Brooklyn Marsh, got up on the podium and it was really hard to listen to that baby because she considered Imani to be more like a sister than a cousin. But, you know, she speaks and she says she wants us to be happy that she's up with God and that she doesn't have to feel any more pain, abuse or hurt. Now, her uncle was supposed to sing, but he couldn't bring himself to do it like it was just it was hurting him too much. But they did release several white doves after the funeral to represent the innocence and purity that was Imani. Now, some time has passed because remember, Imani died in late 2013. July 10th, 2014, both Iman and Little Miss Sexy Wife pleaded not guilty. But eventually, Iman realized going to trial is going to be too much of a risk, especially since the prosecution had so much evidence against him. And, you know, he wasn't the one to actually kill his daughter, but he damn sure didn't help stop it. So prosecution decided, all right, we're going to give him a plea deal. So they come to him and they're like, listen, you plead guilty. We'll take the death penalty off the table and you'll just do life. But you got to testify against Tiffany. So, you know, he's thinking about it. and He's like, all right, fuck it. He pled guilty to two counts of felony murder, two counts of first degree child cruelty and one felony count of concealing a death. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole, as agreed by prosecution in exchange for his testimony. But the prosecution made sure to let it be known that, like, you know, Tiffany may be a monster, but so is Iman. Like, he knew that his daughter was sick. He tried to hide it by giving her boost protein drinks to make her healthy again. But, you know, he knew she was beyond repair. Like, she's a fucking, like, he treated her like she was just a TV when he said that. Iman was sentenced September 2015 and is at the Smith Correctional Institute. Tiffany had her first trial or I guess pre-trial hearing November 2nd, 2013, a couple of days after her arrest. So she goes before the magistrate judge and she's officially charged with murder. She was given a court-appointed attorney, Sandra Gerald, and Sandra was, you know, pretty much doing her job. She was on it and she was trying to represent her client. She did try to file a motion for bond in January of 2014, but the judge was like, T- hell nah, that ain't happening. Not after what the fuck she did to this little girl. So eventually they brought on co-counsel, co-counsel by the name of um, Emily Gilbert. And Symphony was like, nah, I'm not feeling this. And she decided, I want a new attorney. So in May of 2014, she brought on Brad Garner. So motion after motion after motion gets filed to try to find ways to clear her. And, you know, Tiffany literally waited for about five years before she went on trial. I don't know why it took them so long for her to go on trial, considering the evidence and, and her, you know, admittance of certain things. Not to mention that her, you know, husband was the uh, key witness for the prosecution. But it took five years before her trial starts. But then she says, you know what? I'm going to really shake some shit up. Tiffany decided, I'm going to represent myself. (laughs) And the judge was like, "Mm, I don't think that's smart, sis. But, you know, Tiffany was like, nah, I can handle this. I got this. And the presiding judge over the case, Judge George Hutchinson, is like, I'm telling you, (laughs) that might not be the best idea. This ain't what you want. But... Tiffany is just adamant about it. So the judge is like, all right, listen, this is what we're going to do. You can represent yourself, but you're still going to need these defense attorneys to kind of like, you know, help out. So you can have them as backup attorneys or standby attorneys that can answer any legal questions for you. And, and, and this judge really tried to tell her, like, you really need to go to your counsel because they can help you during the pretrial hearings and during the jury selection. But, She told the judge she need them. And on April 15th, 2019, her trial began. Y'all, she didn't give not one opening statement. Tiffany barely said a word. The entire time that she was on trial, she didn't cross-examine any witnesses or anything. And she had plenty of opportunity because the district attorney at the time, Danny Porter, and the ADA, Lisa Jones, they called a total of 18 witnesses. They called Iman's sister, Sharonese. They called Imani's fourth grade teacher, Miss Neal. Of course, they called Iman to, you know give his testimony and they called the medical examiner filling in for Gwinnett County who performed the autopsy on Imani's body. Now check this out. The medical examiner was Oregon State medical examiner, Michelle Stauffenberg. She got on that stand and y'all, she broke it all the way down. She said that at the time of her death, Imani was only 32 pounds. She is 10 years old and literally, as she stated, she was more or less skin and bones. The medical examiner goes on to state that she was extremely thin and emaciated. She had a starved look. Based on her weight and the loss of muscle mass and the fact that her organs were so small compared to the normal charts, she was able to conclude from that that she had died from starvation. That means homicide. So the, pros- the, the prosecution goes on to ask her, like, you know, well, how long would it take for Imani to die? And what's the process like? And she answered that too. Like, this shit broke my heart. She said the first thing that would happen in the early stages is Imani would experience hunger pains. She would probably feel hungry. She would be asking for food, looking for food, craving food. Following that, the next step would be apathy, fatigue, not able to do her usual activities. From there, she would become more and more listless, eventually lethargic and mental status changes. She wouldn't feel like moving around much. She wouldn't have much energy. There would be extreme weight loss that would be visible. And then finally, death. <laughs> I don't know where that accent came from. Like In my head, that's how somebody from Oregon talks. I don't know. Crazy. I don't know. Anyway, so what made it worse is that prosecution showed pictures of the autopsy photos of Imani and like some of the jurors actually had to turn their heads because it was so hard to see her like that. Like a 10 year old girl that's literally just skin and bones. Several of them started crying like even the male jurors were putting their heads in their hands. And the entire time, that bitch Tiffany didn't flinch once. She never looked up. Every time a witness got on the stand and the prosecution would say, oh, your witness, she just sat there quiet. like. Her attorneys encouraged her to ask questions, but of course, she didn't. She didn't bring up no witnesses in her defense. She didn't even want her family there. She never shed a tear, never showed remorse, nothing. When her husband, Iman, was on the stand, she just listened to him talk like he was a stranger to her. And, you know, what I did notice was every now and then she would, like, look up and write something down on her little notepad that they gave her. But she never cross-examined any witness. Like, I thought she would have at least done it for Iman since he was being charged, too. And, I mean, she was giving, like, a detailed... He he, he was giving a detailed account of, of what happened and how they both tried to cover it up so you know when the prosecution would enter evidence in the criminal justice system or in the system when you enter evidence you have to give a copy to the defendant or to the other party's counsel and each time they did that she barely looked at it like she just kind of was sitting there like okay all right y'all are boring me now the trial lasted about 10 days and on April 29th, 2019, closing arguments happened. Now, while this was going on, there was a judge in Gwinnett County that gave Imani's grandmother, Robin, the temporary administrator over Imani's estate. But I mean, what is that doing? Like she's gone, you know. Robin had begged y'all for years to be her caregiver and y'all, y'all, y'all turned her down. Like she begged y'all for years and you just rejected her over and over again. So closing arguments uh, happen and district attorney, Danny Porter, he lays it out. Like, he's like, listen, Tiffany don't need a a life sentence. She don't need life with parole or life without parole. She's shown y'all, you know, too much of her capacity for cruelty. There's always going to be that dark side of her waiting to come out. This bitch needs the death penalty. Like nothing is going to do her better than being sentenced to death. And I agree with all of what he said. So, When it came time for closing arguments, Tiffany once again says nothing. And around two o'clock that afternoon, she says, your honor, case rests. I rest my case or whatever. So (laughs) she rests her case and the jury is dismissed to deliberate. They came back less than three hours later and was like guilty on all counts. Now, the messed up part was is that the jury was trying to figure out like, OK, how are we going to punish her? Do we want to do life without parole? Do we want to do life with parole? Do we want to do the death penalty? What do we want? And so Judge Hutchinson is like, you know what? It's been a long day. Y'all just go ahead and go home and think on it. And on May 1st, 2019, the jury retires. And they're like, all right, we thought about it. <laughs> Killed a bitch. <laughs> death penalty. And the only person that was there for Tiffany was her mom, Pearlie at the age of 36, Tiffany Nicole Moss was sentenced to death by lethal injection. Now, Tiffany is the first person to be sentenced to death in like five years in the state of Georgia. Um, Danny Porter, the district attorney, you know, he speaks at the sentencing and he says, there's no joy when a jury imposes a death sentence. But this one was one of the worst cases I've ever seen. The first time you look at it, it made you sick. The last time you look at it, it make you sick. And Tiffany was sentenced to death and placed at Arendelle State Prison. Currently, she's the only female death row inmate. And upon her execution, she'll make the third woman in the state of Georgia to be executed since Lena Baker. If y'all remember Lena Baker, she was this black woman that was sentenced after like a one day trial trial. Um, by an all white jury, an all white male jury at that in like 1945, and then in 2005, um, there was a <coughs> excuse me. So, um, yeah, in 2005, Lena was given like this posthumous pardon from the state. Now, Kelly Gissendanner was the second woman to be sentenced to death by lethal injection. Um, she played a role in her husband's murder in like 1996 or 97, one of those dates. And she was executed back in 2015 at the Georgia Diagnostic and Classification Prison in Jackson, Georgia. So now Tiffany is the third person and the only death row inmate right now. So after she's sentenced, that's when Robin, Iman's mother, decides, all right, it's time to go after defects. And, you know, Robin is pissed, rightfully so. So she gets an attorney, Mike Jones, who (laughs) no affiliation, (laughs) but he speaks on Robin's behalf and he tells the press, Tiffany is on probation for five years for child abuse of that child. And they place her back there anyway. Somebody needs to answer for that. Three DFACS employees, an intake case manager, a social services administrator, and a program assistant were all fired between November 8th and December 5th of 2013. Now, according to the file that they had on Imani, most of those that were fired were because of the fact that they kind of, you know, ignored the allegations of abuse that had been occurring over the years. The actual report stated that the three employees had Failure to thoroughly review intake, report, family history, and assess risk and ensure safety. And y'all know when it comes to the social services system, especially defects, they're always overworked and underpaid. And I get it. But when you got multiple situations and multiple reports of one child, that same child over and over, you can't just keep overlooking that. Like had y'all stepped in, this baby could very much still be alive today. You know, she could be being raised by her grandmother. And at one point, her grandmother actually tried to get custody of the other two children, Tristan and Emma. But then so did uh, Tiffany's mom, Pearlie. And somehow the judge decided, like, neither one of them were going to get custody of the kids. Now, granted, Robin didn't know to the fullest extent of what was happening with her granddaughter. But her living situation wasn't the best. And so the judge felt like, hmm, I can't put these kids with you because of your current environment. I'm sorry, but you better use some resources in the city to make that happen if you're concerned about her living arrangements. Now, he flat out told Tiffany's mom, Pearlie, hell no. You knew what the fuck was going on with Tiffany and what she was doing to her stepdaughter. Why the fuck would I trust you to take care of her other two kids when you ignored all the signs? You knew them that, that, that there was another child there in that house and you just disregarded it. And y'all, I'm paraphrasing. Like, of course, the judge wasn't actually cussing. Like, he he said it, you know, in a respectable manner. But according to the defects internal investigation, there was another employee and an administrator that had prior knowledge of Iman's entire family history, but knew this and let Imani stay in the house. Y'all see what I mean by a fucked up system? So... The worker had notes in her case file where she stated that Iman had described to the police the type of torture Imani was enduring. She had been scolded with boiling water, isolated like a prisoner and, and, and starved. But yet you close out the case. So on May 1st, 2019, was when Judge Hutchinson sentenced Tiffany to death. Now she was supposed to have her execution between June 7th and June 14th of 2019. But at this point, I guess Tiffany's like, oh shit, I'm about to die. So she decides to finally get legal representation. She has the Georgia Capitol defender group file a motion to ask for a new trial, which will, you know, if, if you're not familiar, when you file for a new trial after being sentenced to death, it automatically results in a state of execution. So they filed this motion and they asked for a new trial and they argue that Tiffany wasn't competent enough to act as her own attorney. <laughs> uh Duh. Ray Charles could have seen that shit. This bitch sat there the whole damn time. Like, I'm not going to say that she wasn't competent, but I'm a damn sure say that she didn't know what the fuck she was doing. So according to the attorneys, they're saying Tiffany got neuropsychological testing data that shows that she has damage to the premotor and prefrontal regions of the brain. They end up giving her a hearing in August of 2019. And, you know, they're testing this whole neuropsychological testing data that she's saying that, oh, you know, I'm not competent enough to stay in trial. Now, during this hearing, Iman speaks again and he's like, listen, I was trying to prove something to my mom that, you know, I could do it. And I said no to her request that, you know, Imani come live with her. So since both Iman and Tiffany were sentenced, the children were not able to be adopted by their grandparents and were placed into foster care. And since then, they've you know been adopted and I believe they had their names changed. I'm not sure how valid that is, but I do know that Tristan, who was three years old at the time, he does remember certain things and he had to like go to therapy. Um, I want to say he's 14 years old now. And then the baby Emma, you know, she was very small at the time, so her memory pretty much you know hadn't really fully developed yet so I doubt she remembers anything but you know they're both happy and and living their lives now and Tiffany's ass is lucky because she got that stay of execution so she's still on death row awaiting her execution date and she's still currently at the Arendelle State Prison in Alto, Georgia and you know right now it's just up in the air as to if she'll be executed quite honestly she need to be because I just I just see a waste of skin like a waste of space I've never been the type to encourage the death penalty before and I believe that every person has a reason for their life but after doing the research and after seeing the videos and and reading the evidence Tiffany just she just didn't give a damn like so at that point I could just be like all right well rot, bitch At least with Iman, you know, he tried to make it right towards the end. But much like many other stupid ass men that put their spouse before their children, he waited until it was too late. So he's living his life in Smith Correctional Institute in Glenville, Georgia. And he's got to live with the fact that he lost his oldest daughter who, you know, came into the world with issues. And who came into the world fighting to get over a drug addiction that her mother put her on at no fault of her own. Only to have the person that's supposed to care for her and take care of her and give her the loving home that she deserves, basically throw her to the side over some pussy. And now your ass is in prison where you belong. Look, like, like I said, I get it. When you get into a relationship and you're happy and loved and all of that, you want to do any and everything you can for your, for your boo, for your spouse, whatever, but You know, if you know that you got kids from another relationship or a prior relationship and you turn around and put your spouse before your child, like what the fuck is wrong with you? What kind of message are you sending? There should be no reason that your spouse has the capability to manipulate you like that or have that much say so. Like I wish the fuck I would have my child suffering and starving and I know that my boo is, you know, behind it and I stay with them because I'm too scared of being by myself or too scared of of paying for, you know, child support or something like that. Like, where the fuck are your morals? Where are your ethics? Where the hell is it? Like, I I really believe karma is going to come back. And clearly it did. Karma's a bitch. And it came back hard, okay? And that guilt ended up getting to Iman. But Tiffany? (laughs) Yeah, that guilt didn't mean shit. She never cared for that baby. To me, I just... Tiffany is literally like the devil on earth and she deserves to burn. So that is all for the story of Imani Moss and her evil stepmother who basically was Satan walking the earth that treated Imani like the speed bump on the way to her happiness. That is all for this week's episode of the Infamous Ones, a true crime podcast. Be sure to follow the show on the following Instagram and TikTok at Infamous One Podcast, and that's the number one, by the way, not spelled out. And you can leave a review there on X. It's Infamous One Pod, where you can also leave a review on Facebook. You can send a friend request to the Infamous Ones, which is a um, public page or you can join the private discussion group the infamous ones discussion group listen if i've said it once i will say it again you have to answer the questions to get into the group like you have to you don't answer the questions you don't get in it's that simple okay i don't care if we cool or not but you can leave a review there once you're in <laughs> um the show streams on multiple streaming services like odyssey apple podcast iheart radio and so on and so on so please leave a review it only takes a few seconds y'all Now, speaking of reviews, um, this one comes from Tasha. It's from Spotify and it's on the Albert Thomas episode. And it says, this episode had me in disbelief. Can't believe how crazy some people are. If you haven't tuned in, what are you waiting for? You will be hooked and anticipating the next episode. That's my goal, giving y'all these jaw-dropping episodes, y'all. Um, this next review comes from Goldenrod2k4 on Apple Podcast. (laughs) I ain't even gonna begin to tell y'all what I thought when I started said Goldenrod. Y'all know I'm not right in the head. Okay. EW! So it says, I'm a true crime junkie and this is my new fave. I love how she gives life to cases we might not hear about because of who's involved. And y'all know what I mean. I got you. I know what you mean. I also love how she gives the info like she's talking to the homies. It's like we're having a convo and she's telling a story. Can't wait for the next episode, so keep them coming. <laughs> not. I love how she gives life to cases we might not hear about because of who's involved. I know that's right. She talked about the melanin deficient, y'all. But yes, I promise I will keep them coming. And speaking of that, I do have a little bit of a special announcements okay so I get it one episode a week isn't enough for y'all and there are a lot of cases I mean a lot so starting in May you'll be able to subscribe to episodes that no one else will get that's right I will be dropping more than one episode a week for my infamous ones and I'll keep y'all updated on that but in the meantime You'll continue to get one episode a week, I promise. But the two multiple episodes are coming, and it'll start in May. Now, you can support, in the meantime, by donating, by clicking on listener support on Spotify. Um, You can leave any amount from as low as $1. And the Infamous Ones now has an official cash app. Yes, y'all can hit that cash app at, at dollar sign. Infamous One O N E Pod. If you have a case you want to hear more about that you feel has been ignored in the black community or you want to leave a review, send an email to Infamous One Pod, that's I N F A M O U S O N E P O D at gmail.com. And remember, please share, share, share. Until then, y'all know what it is. I'm your girl Kay. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see y'all next week with a new episode. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Infamous Ones, a true crime podcast hosted by Kay. Be sure to like and comment on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.